Hey everybody, this is Sean Sitters again. Really excited to be here with another another guest and an actual personal friend, Evan Knox. Evan runs an agency out of Atlanta, Georgia called Caffeine Marketing. And this is more of a friend conversation than anything else. Evan and I got to know each other through an agency network and we've met with each other a few times virtually and also hung out in person a couple of times. He's just a good dude and Evan, excited to have you here. Yeah, Sean, I mean, really any excuse to hang out with you is great with me and to do it, talking about marketing and sales and helping people grow their businesses. We're definitely kindred spirits in a way. I think we kind of could tell within about an hour of that first dinner where we were, where we were hanging out. And I just really look up to, to you and your business and how you serve others. And it just comes through in everything that you do. And I'm excited for how this conversation might add value as you and I were kind of kind of going back and forth. And I was like, hey, like you got to be on this podcast. We were talking about a couple of ideas that came to mind. And one that came to mind for me was this thing that keeps on coming up in a lot of my sales conversations and a lot of my strategy conversations. And that is the importance of niching down in your marketing efforts for, for all businesses out there. My guess is that when people hear that, they've probably thought about that at one point or another, if they either own or run a business. But I'm curious to hear, why do you think that topic is so pertinent specifically like right now? I think you have to go back to 2022. Actually, I was reading a sales report by a company affiliated with HubSpot and they showed crazy stats for 2022, which I feel like most of us were not really feeling the effects of a potential mm. recession then. But they were saying, hey, sales links for B2B sales was like double or triple the length. And then deal size was like 20 to 30% smaller. It was like nine out of 10 sales reps were missing their quota in 2022. So like only imagine what 2023's report is going to look like. Mm. And so what I think has really happened is that it's forced everyone to find a different way to close leads. No one wants to hire generalists. They want to hire someone specific to them who knows experience and can help them leapfrog where they want to be. So that's my thought. Wait, why do you feel like we're seeing more yeah. folks niching down? You know, I think that what I've noticed is that as, as we've kind of come out of COVID and as we've kind of ended up in, in a world where AI is just at the forefront of conversation as it relates to marketing and everything that we do, as a result of that, like a natural symptom of that situation is basically that content is more prevalent in pretty much every industry, more so than it's ever been before. And what I mean by that is just that there's just a sheer, a huge increase in the amount of content that's being published by businesses that never even considered to be content publishers in the past. And the unfortunate reality is that a lot of that is not great content, <laughs> but it's still it's still so easy. Even if you're creating really beautiful content, maybe even really strategic content, if you are positioning yourself as a generalist in the midst of this sea of madness, if you will, it, it is really hard to stand apart. And so to me, it really kind of comes to the surface at this moment, specifically like as people were starting to talk to me about like, okay, what's our Q3, Q4 plan for 2023? Also, how are we going to position ourselves in 24? Here are a couple of key priorities that I have coming up in our business. And, and I think that the one thing that I can recommend that is really tangible for people that will really make a big difference is challenge yourself to feel uncomfortable 
with how far you're niching down. I think for business owners, it's just scary to do that because it just feels you're kind of, it's like another risk that you have to be taken. And so I think that's why it kind of bubbles up at this particular moment and why people are talking about it so much. Yeah, it's, I, I get the risk, but I want to kind of paint a story of two of our clients. One, and this is, you know, I, I wish I knew all this stuff two, three years ago. We would be so much farther ahead and I, I, we wouldn't be able to serve our clients. But that's just the journey, right? I haven't done this for seven years. There's just stuff you learn over time. But I've got two different clients. One client, we help grow their annual recurring revenue by $2 million in nine months. So very aggressive results that we were able to generate with them and for them. And then I took that experience and we knocked it apart. They're a great case study. And then we got to a similar style client who was also in the service industry, software, you know, development technology and really struggled. And I hated that because they spent a lot of money with us and we did a lot of stuff. I ran a similar playbook to what we did beforehand, but we were not seeing the results. And so I'm losing sleep at night. I'm sure they lost sleep at night as well. And I'm just pulling my hair out. Like what in the world? Like this just worked four months ago. I don't understand why this isn't working. And after a lot of unpacking and, you know, Sean, you know, you and I are both fans and story brand guides were, we're, we love the framework, but what I came to the conclusion was, is that you can have all the elements of a story brand framework and still struggle to generate leads and grow revenue because you're missing a unique selling proposition. Mm -hmm. So the story brand framework does a really good job of answering those seven elements of who are you? What do you do? What problem do you solve? How do you make your life better? What pain do you help them avoid, et cetera? But it doesn't answer why I should buy from you. So it's almost like maybe five, six years ago, if you just had a clear message, people would buy your product. But now in a sluggish economy, and now there's just so much marketing messaging out there, like you talked about, you not only have to be clear, you have to be compelling. And the mm. thing that's going to make you compelling is a unique selling proposition. And one of the easiest ways for you to have a unique selling proposition is to say, hey, we focus specifically on your industry. And then what we can talk about more later is a unique approach or a unique delivery vehicle. Mm. Yeah, I find that whenever I have sat down with businesses, whether they be, and I have just so many coming to mind, financial services, banking, real estate, CPG, all, all these different industries. Anytime that I sit down and talk with them, if I say to them, what's the one thing that you do the best? All of them know the answer immediately. And almost always, it's not the thing that we were talking for the first, you know, 45 minutes of the meeting about marketing against. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of times it's kind of like, well, we need to market against this because we need it to grow so that it can catch up with this thing that we're really, really excellent at. And I think that there's this fear of like, am I going to have to adjust my entire business model or my entire product offering because I'm marketing against this one vertical or the, this one niche? And I know that that's something that you and I have both considered being in agencies. You know, you serve a, a very specific audience or at least you market yourself that way. But I also just know from you that you have uh, the ability to serve a lot of different people. So why and how do you go about that process without completely interrupting your entire business model or product offering, especially for a business who is, you know, $50 million annual recurring revenue plus? Yeah. 
Yeah, just to clarify for everybody, we're not yet at 50 million in recurring revenue. Yeah. Uh, we're working on, we're working on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could just talk about my journey to mm. niching down a little bit. So I had been consulting and marketing. I've done that for, I mentioned seven years. And I co-founded a private equity group and we invested in a lot of software companies and e-commerce businesses. And so I gained all of this just like incredibly valuable behind the scenes information about those two verticals. And what I came to the conclusion was, is I don't want to own more e-commerce businesses. They're very hard. They're hard to scale. And even like I broke a business because I grew it. I helped grow it from 700K to 3.6 million in the course of a year. And it essentially broke it. I mean, un among other factors. And so I was like, oh, I don't, I want to do that. And so I looked at the software and the thing that was so appealing about software is it's so scalable. Once you've got the infrastructure, I mean, you can even build better code over time and reduce your, your cost of goods sold. Like it's just, it's a great business model and that's why they have such high valuations. And so I looked at that and then actually spent two years as the CEO of one of our software companies in a payment processing space, you know, kind of FinTech. And I thought, you know what? I've got all this great experience. I've learned all this stuff. Why don't I come over and focus more on software and technology? And that's where I initially led into. And so that looked like creating, oh, and that's just the way I did it is I created a whole new website and paid our team, you know, as far as man hours, a lot of money to build out all these new landing pages, this new website. And I was able to land some like really big deals that it's big to me deals that way because we were positioned as, Hey, we help your specific industry. Here's our experience. And it worked out really well. And then that was just general B2B software and technology. And then as of lately, I have really started to focus more on FinTech and I've leaned into that story that I just shared about, you know, the PE farm, the leading the, the software company and taking that experience. And then also looking at our case studies that are some of our best clients. It's, and looking at the market this second, is like, that's one of the spaces within technology where there's still a lot of investments happening and people are trying to scale aggressively. I kind of took all that and then have been trying to sub niche even further down into, you know, that FinTech space. But I think two things that I want to point out. One, just because you pick a market, and I feel like we need to talk about this, just because you pick a market, doesn't mean that you pick a niche. A niche is more than just picking a market. But then the flip side of this is I heard a gentleman who is in part of my EO accelerator group, which is like a, a entrepreneur's peer group, if you will. And he says, oh, we specialize in this type of cybersecurity for governments. And somebody goes, well, how much of your business is that? And he goes, mm, about 3%. And he has like a four or $5 million business. And that blew my mind. I was like, why would you say that? And it got me thinking like, okay, I don't have to absolutely say no to all these other things, but I know who I'm going after. So all of my inbound and outbound advertising, outbound sales, all of that stuff is geared around that B2B software technology. And then the most of that effort within there is focused on fintech. And then if I mean, I'll work with anyone who's a good culture fit and we like their business really. So, I mean... We've got everyone from like holistic nutrition programs to my chiropractor, right? But that's not who we're going after. Totally. Yeah. And my my journey is one of a lot of 
trial and error. I, I have a, a different professional experience in that I really just have focus on creative content production at scale for really large businesses. And truthfully, probably shouldn't say this, but I just really hated working for the massive, massive clientele and producing just assets mindlessly. It just was not something that I was ever going to be really fulfilled doing. So I start this venture and we're super excited. And we started as as generalist as you could possibly be. Do you, you want videos made? No problem. You want paid media? No problem. You want organic? No problem. Email? No problem, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, literally revenue was revenue in our early days. And I think there's a time and a place for that, right? You got to achieve some level of viability, but that is a super dangerous game long-term as I've realized. And as we've gotten further and further down the pipeline, we've actually tested things. We've tested new products. We've tested hiring personnel to uh, be better at certain things that we were struggling with. And the one thing that was the most, and and I think this is, I always strive for tangible value on this podcast because I want for somebody to be able to leave and say, what's one thing I can do in order to actually achieve this type of a thing? And I'm talking really rudimentary, so really basic here. Go out and send a survey to all of your existing and previous clients and ask them to rate you on specific services, the ones that they actually um, engage with or specific products. And then take a, take a hard look at what they say. And I think it'll be pretty clear to you what you're best at and what, you, what problem you solve. Even if it's different than how you're currently marketing yourself, that's probably one of the best insights I've ever gotten. And so when we did that, the thing that came back to us is that your creative is the best that I've ever been able to get out of an agency of your size. And that is the proposition. It really, it really comes down to businesses who are between uh, one and a hundred million dollars in revenue. The owner is almost certainly still involved in a lot of cases. There's usually a pretty small marketing team, and those people care deeply about how their brand is positioned creatively and strategically. And that is really our unique, unique difference: is that we're going to provide you the same level of creative that you would get if you worked with the biggest ad agency in town but for a fraction of the cost, and you're going to feel gosh darn proud of it at the end of the experience. And it will actually make a difference for your business too. And here's uh, some proof. That, that for me has been such an important shift in our positioning as a business. It also makes my sales conversations easier, both in terms of the, the person I'm speaking to and having them understand us, and also gives me more confidence to be able to say, I really know what we're best at and I really know what we're not great at. <laughs> and that is refreshing, honestly, for some. And I know a lot of people really struggle with this. You and I have pretty actively tried to combat against it in a very short amount of time. But there's people who go for decades struggling with trying to niche down. So anyways, that's that's a little bit about about my journey, too. I'm curious if you have any pointers kind of like that survey that I mentioned, like things that people can kind of do to start this process. Yeah, I think we should go to what does it mean to niche down? You can do this in multiple different ways. And I think, yes, the first step is likely picking a market, but you don't even have a market, right? Like that's not, you're, you have a ideal customer profile there, but you're saying there's essentially this ideal customer profile mixed with a service. So you can niche down with an ICP, ideal customer profile, and a service. That's right. one option of differentiating yourself. Another way to do that is to do a specific market and service. So some people might be looking, again, I mentioned this before, but we serve mainly software development and technology firms. Someone might be out there looking for a 
LinkedIn ads person for B2B SaaS. That is not our niche. Now, do we do that? Yes, we crush it out of the park, but that's not, that's not how we're positioned and mm. how we're enchanted. So you could do it by ICP, you could do it by market, and then mix it with your individual services. How we are trying to niche down is into not only the, the market, then the sub-market, ideally. So, you know, a particular market of B2B software technology, and then even if possible, go farther down into fintech for us. And then if we can layer on a unique delivery vehicle or a unique approach, that is going to really differentiate us. So if we have something about our, you know, and we have what we call the caffeinated leads brewing framework, which is what I've created based off my experience, you know, growing other companies, growing our companies. And that is a differentiator. Like you're just not going to get that caffeinated leads brewing framework anywhere else. That's like a defensible position that we have that no one else can take on that. So does that make, I mean, that's, I yeah. my opinion on that. It makes a ton of sense. You, I think it's safe to say, are um, somebody who I really look up to as it's related to like quantifiable growth. And I am probably somebody that is like very qualitative in my measurement in a lot of ways. Hence are the differences between our two agencies and, and the validity of both of those businesses and, and the fact that they can actually act in tandem in a lot of cases to help a business in, in ways that are really complementary. I think that for me, the way that I really see it from an organic standpoint, because in a lot of cases, we're working on content strategies that help people build relationships with their customer base. And I mean that as literally as I possibly can. I want to equip a sales team with great content that's being posted from the brand's perspective in a way that allows for them to then actually create human connection with their prospects. And um, one of the things that I have really been kind of just pointing to as, a, as an example of what it means and looks like to niche down, because I think visually it's really helpful for people to kind of think about it. I would encourage everybody to go out there and look at Instagram and look or at whatever your social profile of choice is and look to see which of the brands that you're following and that you engage with the most often. Maybe also influencers fall into this category too. My guess is, is that that brand or that influencer talks about the same thing over and over again. And I would encourage you to then go to your profile, your brand's profile and or your personal, depending on your particular product, and then compare yourself against that. How specific are you being with your messaging? And I think that if you ask yourself that question, the, the answer is probably you're not being as specific as that person or you're not being specific at all. <laughs> and, and I think that is really another tangible measuring stick, if you will, for people to actually be able to say, okay, well, I obviously love this content that this person's printing out. I hadn't really even thought about the fact that they literally just talk about one subject that's important to me. I'm their market after all. And, and that's why I like it. But what am I doing for my customer in that way? And I think the problem is, in a lot of cases, at least in my conversations with people, is that they get what I call marketing fatigue. It's just internal, you know, getting burnt out on the same message which is like a common trope for marketers, honestly. It's like, oh, we should try something new. It's like, but why? <laughs> You've already decided what your niche is. You already decided what you're best at. In fact, your market tells you what you're best at. And now you're just going to go up and change that just because you got bored of the color blue. You know, it's just like that to me is really important to not get that fatigue and to also set parameters in place 
Get yourself an agency who actually thinks that way. Get yourself some marketing hires internally, some headcount that actually thinks that way to create some safeguards against boardroom decision-making that actually doesn't yield any benefit to the bottom line. So anyways, just a more organic thought for us. Yeah, and I would love to hopefully do these two thoughts here. One of painting an example of what is niche down and what isn't practically and I saw. And then the second one would be like, what are other practical ways that you can try to apply this? So for that first example, I want us to kind of think about an outbound email campaign. So if caffeine marketing is trying to target those founders of fintech companies that have maybe 25 to hundred employees somewhere in there. And if I message them and I say something, let's rank these as far as niching down. The worst is, and this is still niche down. Hey, so-and-so at fintech company, we are a marketing agency for B2B software technology companies. Would you be interested in a chat? That's level one. Level two is personalization and specificity to the level of, hey, so-and-so, we are a marketing agency for fintech companies like yours of your size, and we provide digital marketing services. That's level two. Level three is, hey, fintech, you know, hey, name, whatever the name is, at so-and-so company, we help fintech leaders like yourselves communicate hard to understand products simply in such a way that people want to buy and sign up for those products. Mm -hmm. I've identified not only who they are, how we're specifically different, but then also like we're solving a very specific problem. So you're solving a very specific problem for a very specific market in a very unique way. That one is going to have a much higher response rate than all the other ones. Not to mention the fact that that's just better messaging overall, kind of going back to the story brand thing that you were mentioning earlier. Like if you do what you just said and go to level three, you're communicating in a way to where you're not even really blatantly saying like, hey, I know that you face this problem. It's more of like you're, you're getting straight to the solution and you're showing that because you talk about the solution in a specific way, you've, you've done your homework and or you have the experience to be able to know without even having to call it out. And I think that that, well, one, shortens the message. <laughs> and then also, two, makes it more specific. And three, is just more, it's more convincing, right? So that's, uh, I think that you're kind of hitting on something that's multifaceted. It's like, yes, niching. And then also like, how are you messaging your business and the value prop that's associated with it? Yeah, I think trust will continue to diminish as AI becomes even more prevalent. And so... I I see LinkedIn posts and my combative nature looks at those LinkedIn posts. And recently I commented on somebody's LinkedIn post. And I was like, was this written by AI? I don't see you responded. I don't know. I didn't get a notification. Maybe deleted it. But I mean, like, it just, I think that stuff is going to die off. And brutally organic, well-written stuff is going to surface because people don't trust. Like the the trust radar is already down. So if they find someone they trust, they're going to be like, more willing to spend money with them. Yeah, it's one It's one thing to be able to pump out content and do so at scale, but it's also another thing, like I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my Slack and we have like a, we have a, something we called Mallard Inspiration. So anything that's inspiring to any team member, they share it. And yesterday 
at 5.03 p.m., my brand manager shared a caption from a post and said, well, this doesn't look like it was written by by AI, does it? <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's just like becoming so easy to spot. And for, I, I just take from my personal experience and the experience of my of my clients, and these clients fall into the category that I mentioned before, anybody yeah. between a million and a hundred million dollars in revenue each year and across industry. And those people, they know and they don't want it for their own business. And I know that for a fact because I've talked to all of them <laughs> about it. And they all keep coming back and saying, I don't want that. And because they started this business with human intention and they want to continue with human legacy. And so that's, I think, really important for people to consider now that we're talking about messaging in addition to niching down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's the, it's the application of niching down. Right. And I just kind of, where we're at today, this, this time of this recording, our website says something. It's still, the homepage still says B2B software attack of the sort, but the offer is now specific enough to say, we help teams that are struggling with founder-led marketing turn into lead generation bliss or something like, I don't know what the exact thing is without looking at it, but the idea is that I'm now targeting the founder of the B2B FinTech company for a while. It's just, yeah, we'll work with the CMOs, we'll work with founders, whatever. And now like I have a stance against the CMO, not to say they're bad people, maybe I'll be one for some large entity one day, but it's not the right choice for most people to hire a CMO at $250,000 to $350,000 a year. And then they're going to want to hire a team or work with an outside agency. So all in, you're at $650,000 a year or more. Right. That's just irresponsible to try out marketing. All of this positioning is like, it happens over time. You get farther and farther down it. And I would even say like just practical ideas. Start If you're doing outbound email, start with just outbound email scripts. And then if you've got a website, add additional sub pages and you can hide them and tuck them away places. You could run ads specific to those landing pages. Our agency really is focused on growing marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads and revenue. And this would be, that's how we do it for ourselves. This is how we do it for our clients who are trying to niche down is yep. we're going to build all of these out and not necessarily overhaul the entire website. Like I initially started at like, Hey, just build it, see if there's traction and then keep drilling further down if there is traction. Love it. Yeah, this is so good. Well, I, I think that, well, if, if I was listening to this, I would have gained value because I'm sitting here gaining value literally as we speak about this. Uh, it's really great to kind of talk about the thing that has been happening in our actual everyday uh, with, with our clients, our, our individual clients and our separate clients and to come um, to the table as two agency owners. I think one thing, and this is shifting gears a little bit, one thing that I've really appreciated about the most recent season in my agency ownership journey is this prioritization of collaboration over competition. And I think that one, Evan, you embody that so, so well. And I'm just really proud to be a part of a community that does that really actively and in practice. Really, before Evan and I even got on the phone today or on this podcast, really what we were talking about is okay, what are we trying to accomplish today? And we were talking, and the word service is what came up. You know, we want to add value for people. We don't really expect to get anything out of this. We just actually care. And anyways, I hope you can hear that coming through the microphone of both myself and Evan. Thanks for tuning in. And Evan, so great to see you, bro. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Sean. Thank you for your kind words. Great to hang out with you. The economy is, you know, something that you can't control. But what you can control 
mm-hmm. is how you react to it. And I think the best move right now towards a sluggish economy is action. And so put the work in. If that means that you're going to have to do some stuff yourself, do it yourself, learn some new skills or hire someone like John or I to help you do those things. Yeah. Love it. Or both of us. There you go. <laughs> yeah, sure. I appreciate the the time and everybody um, subscribe with to this podcast if you uh, found any value today. Also, I would encourage you to share it with somebody. I have a feeling that this message in particular could be really beneficial to one, two, three people in your network. And I think that they would really benefit if you were to toss them a text right now and, and share it with them. I really appreciate your time and we'll catch you on the next one. 